Welcome back to another episode of the My Latin Life podcast. Since 2014, My Latin Life has been your trusted guide to traveling and living in Latin America. Today, I'm here with a very special guest. His name is Mark Falzone. Hopefully, I'm pronouncing that right. How's it going, Mark? Hey, nice to uh, to meet you. You as well, man. And is it Falzone or Falzon? <laughs> You know, I, I don't think it matters. I think in France, they'd, they'd probably say it the way you're saying it. But I've always said Felzon. Felzon. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, cool. You got that intro down perfectly. I feel like if I was recording an intro, I'd go through it 20 times and mess it up each time. So kudos. <laughs> and you know what? This is one of the first 10 episodes. So we're happy to have you on. Uh, so, uh, you know, <laughs> it's a work in progress. So um, obviously, you know, uh, your current project around Bitcoin Cash in St. Kitts is attracting a lot of attention. You've also documented uh, the Bitcoin movement in El Salvador on the ground. Uh, so you've been basically documenting in Latin America and around the world, Thailand as well, uh, mm -hmm. the adoption of cryptocurrencies in day-to-day -day usage yep. um, with a specific focus on, on Latin America, which makes sense. Um, before and you know we're let's spend a lot of the episode talking about that but uh why don't we just get a little bit of background because i feel like a lot of people don't know everything about you uh, i found out i guess you're from new jersey originally and you've been <laughs> yep. in the, kind of the seo digital marketing space for a while but maybe you could give yourself a bit better of an introduction yeah so um long story short i worked in startups uh after i graduated college uh, i did that for years. And I remember for a while I was working at Jump Cut. Uh, one of the, let's say, YouTube channels they owned was Simple Pickup. So that's a lot of my background was working in uh, marketing with, with them and they were quite good at that. But I remember going into the office at Jump Cut. This was in 2015 and I get in really early. Mm -hmm. I was the chief of staff at that time. And I'd stay until after the sun went down. And I remember watching the sunset every day. And I thought, how many more of these sunsets am I going to miss, <laughs> um, you know, in, in an office? So uh, after that, I kind of went off on my own and uh, got into SEO and, and digital marketing, like you said, kind of traveling around a bit. And then I discovered cryptocurrency through a, a friend of mine. And he challenged me to record myself trying Bitcoin for the first time, uh, downloading a wallet, putting money on it, doing a few basic tasks. And I, I did that. It was pretty fun and interesting experience, but I kind of wrote it off after that. But I remember I started getting these notifications on my phone, these pings, the price right. would go up and down and I'd get little notifications from the wallet because I left the $20 in there. And I said, oh, that's kind of interesting. When I did some research online, I found out that there are people out there that apparently live only on cryptocurrency. Like they don't use bank accounts. They, they just live on crypto. So I thought, okay, is that actually true? Can you actually live on crypto and only crypto? So I tried it. I did a video where I went three days only using cryptocurrency. So if I needed something, I had to find a way to pay with it in crypto. And um, it, it was exciting and fun. And there's sort of a, a natural progression as I got more interested, not so much in the investing and the trading and the wealth aspect of it, but specifically in the idea of using it in a day-to-day -day application. And part of the reason that's so exciting to me 
is when you see nowadays a lot of the financial censorship, a lot of the cancel culture, a lot of the government mandates with COVID uh, and uh, inflation printing, having some agency um, has become more important to me. So yeah, that's sort of my background all rolled up in, in 20, 20 seconds or a minute or however long it's been. No, for sure. I mean, I'm, I'm Canadian, so I know what it's like to go to the office while it's still dark out and, and come home when the sun is already set at like 4.30 p.m., and <laughs> especially yeah. in winter. Uh, and so that's kind of what spurred my move to Latin America was to sort of avoid winter and, mm -hmm. you know, get to, get to live every day to the fullest, um, as you can see by my attire. Yeah, man. Uh, in early February. Um, so... What so I guess like there's one step where it's like kind of starting to live a more four hour work week type lifestyle, you know, um, get passive income and all that. And then there's like a, a higher level where it's like become a sovereign citizen, a global individual, whatever you want to call it, internationalizing yourself. How important has that been to you? What kind of spurred that for you? And, and how do you think about that kind of thing? So for me, a lot of my travel is based on chasing cryptocurrency and, and seeing its adoption and how, mm -hmm. how it's been used. Um, I think that one of the big changes that COVID has brought about is this idea that you're not tied to the land that you're from. And countries that will have the most um, welcoming let's say framework for people are going to be the countries where the smart, the productive and the competent people go. So if you're in America, there's not really a reason to be there. If you can go somewhere nicer, like Latin America, like Colombia, uh, like Thailand, all these places, why would you stay in a place that you're going to deal with, uh, you know, bad weather and, and, it's just not necessary. Everything is online. So you're right. You, there is this kind of upper echelon of people who buy citizenships and passports and live globally. But there's also just regular people that are working regular jobs, but they're able to do it remotely. Um, for sure. And I, I think and that's in really our, in our parents' generation, like people would just go to Fort Lauderdale for winter or yeah. you know, Arizona. And now we're just, you know, we're really taking it a step further. We're lowering, lowering our cost of living, going to Latin right. America, um, you know, we're getting fresh fruit. It's nice. It's a nice life. It is. Um, and what's so nice about it too, is we're pressuring, uh, we're, we're putting pressure on governments, on local governments. Like look at all the people leaving California. They're, they're, they're moving out. So places that won't be friendly to small businesses, uh, places that won't be friendly to people that are competent and are investors, they're going to leave. And now they have the options. Yeah, it's become Not a just... global market. And it puts, exactly. it puts you, the individual, in the position of, I guess, having the upper hand or being the, you know what I mean? It's kind of like, country. it used to be, it's like a buyer's market versus a seller's market. And before countries had all the power and you just couldn't like leave really if you were expecting to make an income yep. um, other than like teaching English or something. Yep. Um, like 20 years ago, you'd have to be pretty badass to like get up and move to Colombia or, or whatever it is. But now it's just so easy with yep. Uber and Airbnb and, and now crypto. 
Yeah, you're right. And it's important to do that. It's so important to get out of whatever your home country is and live abroad, get a, a broader perspective. And there's not really a compelling reason not to now that everything is so accessible and so easy, so affordable, and also everything is remote so you can earn an income no matter where you are. Definitely. And we'll come to this, but uh, come back around to this, but I wanted to get a little bit more of your background. So I did notice that you did, um, you went to art school, not only mm -hmm. for your undergrad, but you went back recently for your master's and did a master of fine arts. And I could tell like from your YouTube channel, the production quality was just extremely high from yeah. the very first videos. So either you used to have lots of videos that you took down or I guess maybe you honed your skills in your previous businesses, but um, you know, kudos to you wanted to tell you your production quality is like extremely high. And um, I think that's one of the reasons that, um, you know, you're a good candidate to be documenting uh, these developments in Latin America. You, you definitely have a skill for filmmaking. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Nice of you. I, I did. I went to uh, undergraduate in fine art and then that, part of my life got lost as I went into startups and into tech. And again, uh, after I saw those sunset setting, I said, well, what is the passion that I really want to pursue? And I went back to uh, fine art. So I got my master's in it. Um, but yeah, for me, having production is, is an important part of my channel just for me to feel good. But I, I don't really think it's that necessary for anyone else. Uh, a lot of my friends do YouTube as well, who have far more views and subscribers and they just have a GoPro and they're not even using like all the, the equipment and lights and all the stuff that I, that I fuss with, but you know, whatever makes you happy. And for me, having that polish makes the videos um, feel satisfying to, to make. But it also just makes them take longer to make. And so uh, I followed you for like a year and I remember watching some of the early videos, um, I guess kind of in Thailand and, uh, maybe even before that, the Panama stuff. And I was like, this guy's production quality is like insane for the number of views he's getting. Um, but I, quality obviously, uh, ultimately wins out. Yeah. You know, one of the other important aspects is really having a defined niche. So that's something that I've, I've fought. And if you've seen my channel, you know, I've done all kinds of different content and, um, you know, you can do that. You can just make whatever you want, not have a niche. But as, as you kind of noticed, you don't get a lot of views that way. Once you really pick and execute on, on something narrow, uh, you can grow your content more. And if you want to be a digital nomad and document things, you know, you should think about that. A good example, by the way, is a friend of mine named Forrest Lee. Okay. Incredible YouTuber. He only talks about one thing expat life in China, uh, Thai, uh, Thailand. Yeah. And, uh, you know, his, his channel does very well and he's such a nice guy that it's hard not to watch him. And so how long have you been a, a digital nomad for, or, you know, primarily location independent? I've had waves, I guess. So in 2012 or 2011 to 2014, I lived in China then I lived in LA, then I lived in Japan, then I lived in New Jersey. Now I'm living in St. Kitts. So I kind of go through waves where I start missing just the monotony, I guess, of life in America. So I, I tend to go back, but uh, it's nice to have the choice of where I want to be. You know? Okay, that's awesome. And yeah, we'll definitely come back to sort of Asia versus Latin America. 
Um, but I wanted to ask, so what was sort of your on-ramp to crypto? So it was through your friend, David, primarily. Yep. Was it primarily Bitcoin at the start or Bitcoin Cash or, or something else? At the beginning, it was Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash because those were the two um, cryptos that were on the Bitcoin.com wallet, which is the first one I was using. Mm-hmm. When I did my two-day challenge, and I didn't really, I knew they were different. But I didn't know how they were different. And that's something that I learned when I did my 72 hours living in Philadelphia with only crypto was trying to use Bitcoin versus trying to use Bitcoin Cash and seeing the pros and cons uh, of each of those cryptos. And eventually, over the past you know couple of years, I've learned about other cryptos and got excited about them. Um, but what really excites me is people using it again as, as money. So that's the part that I care about. So, you know, I've learned about dash i got to meet one of the developers there uh, zcash is pretty cool i think one of the most interesting cryptos out there is monero and flex usd those are incredible cryptos definitely so i i think this is a story that um is part of the bitcoin cash narrative where people sort of realized that bitcoin was not that great for a medium of exchange um, and I, I mean, I guess that's how Bitcoin Cash even came to be, right? The fork in 2017 to allow a higher transaction volume. Mm-hmm. And it seems to, and like long story short, in 2022, it just works. Like BCH yep. seems to work well. And transactions are closing instantaneously while you're, you know, in the store at the, the grocery store counter. Whereas mm-hmm. I think that was kind of the primary issue with Bitcoin, even with the Lightning Network and Layer 2 and blah, 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 or whatever El Salvador is doing is the transactions just weren't closing while mm-hmm. you were at the grocery store counter. And because of that, it, it just wasn't really like working as money. Yeah. Um, when it comes to Bitcoin, the narrative over the past few years has been it's a store of value. And uh, in general, it's pretty good at that. In general, if you put money and invest your money like gold or something uh, into Bitcoin, you will over time tend to have a a higher return. So in that sense, I think people who are very pro Bitcoin and and really only like Bitcoin would say that Bitcoin is working perfectly. It's working exactly how you want it to work, which is to increase your your net wealth. Uh, Bitcoin Cash, the philosophy is a little bit different, where the idea is what defines success is the ease of people being able to use it for small day-to-day microtransactions as cash, no matter where you are in the world, no matter whether you're wealthy or you're uh, poor. So the cryptos are are different. They have a little bit of a different philosophy, even though they, as you pointed out, come from the same place. In 2017, they split obviously, but before 2017, uh, Bitcoin increased uh, increased the block size over and over and over. It was always increased. And finally, in 2017, half the community felt like that was the end. It shouldn't keep increasing. We should keep it frozen there. And obviously, the other half thought it should uh, continue. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. And so uh, I'm kind of curious about a little bit of the timeline of um, was Venezuela supposed to be the very first project, but due to visa concerns, you were unable to do that. And then you did El Salvador or, or was El Salvador first and then you wanted to Venezuela? So originally, um, I was only going to do Venezuela. I was going to do five videos there. I was going to say two weeks, five short videos. 
basically showing people in that country using cryptocurrency uh, as money, right? Especially Bitcoin Cash. And that was exciting to me because we've seen the hyperinflation. And in a place like Venezuela, the use of cryptocurrencies, especially like Bitcoin Cash uh, or Dash, which also has a big following in Venezuela, are so useful. Mm -hmm. uh, what ended up happening is COVID <laughs> made it impossible to go. They actually shut down their embassy in the United States. So as an American, I, I really had no way uh, right. to get down there. So, and, and so uh, you had a successful flip starter. Uh, mm -hmm. You raised, uh, I think, 57 BCH, which yep. is uh, whatever it is. I don't even know. 10 grand, let's say. Um, and I, I did notice on Reddit there was like a little bit of controversy in terms of like, oh, you didn't complete the project or mm -hmm. and obviously you couldn't because of the visa. My immediate. Well, I want to know what happened with that. But or, or would you? what your response would be, but also, dude, couldn't you just like illegally enter from Colombia, like at Leticia at the, at the river there on the Amazon? <laughs> I've never been, but apparently now I know there's a way in. So I've always wanted to go to Venezuela. Maybe I have a, a, a way to sneak in now. So I appreciate that. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I raised, I did a flip starter and it was for at the time, $15,000 and went up to 17. Uh, when I did a video covering how I raised the money. So by the way, anyone who wants to raise money in crypto, watch my videos on how to do it. I show you the exact process. Yeah, um, that's cool. So I raised uh, the money and I ended up pretty much blowing it all on all camera equipment, which was probably not smart, especially because it, it went up to $1,600 uh, a year later. But um, I got the money and uh, after some long period of not being able to get down into Venezuela, I put up a community vote for everyone who funded my Flipstarter, uh, whether they want me to uh, wait till Venezuela opens or whether they want me to expand into Latin America. Uh, I think it was almost unanimous. Everyone said, yeah, do Latin America, uh, which mm -hmm. thank God it happened. That was the best thing that could have ever occurred was not being able to get to Venezuela because it led me to El Salvador, which, you know, What's going on in Venezuela is interesting, but what's going on in or what happened in El Salvador is or was fairly historic. So it was good to have someone there, you know, uh, capturing it. Dude, it was super historic. And you're like one of the primary guys on the ground. And I, I, I as well super back this mission of doing all Latin America because there's so many use cases. I mean, I think Argentina is a no brainer. Uh, mm -hmm. you, I, you know that there's a BCH community in Argentina. I'm actually looking to talk to one of the guys, Ian Ian Blass, um, hmm. who's like one of the co-founders of like BCH Argentina. Awesome. Um, and then so obviously Argentina is a use case. Venezuela is a use case. El Salvador is happening. You're in St. Kitts, which has something amazing happening too. So yep. this can spring up a little bit everywhere. And so uh, I, I think it's awesome to, to cover the whole region. Yeah. Latin America is unbelievably exciting right now where north america is not right in the crypto world there's nothing happening there other than regulations which you know regulations are fine but the necessity of crypto being used as cash is so prevalent for obvious reasons in latin america and a lot of countries here and to me that's really invigorating and, and i believe that the countries down here will be in a really good position in the future 
because of the investments that they're making now in this this new form of currency, as opposed to America, which is printing like what 40% of all the money that's ever been printed in American history in the past year. <laughs> so, you know, one is going one direction, the other is going another. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I guess also to clarify, so you did go to Thailand, you met up with David Bond in Thailand, you were using BCH there. Uh, I guess he was using it first because he kind of got like canceled on like every platform and he couldn't yeah. use PayPal. And mm -hmm. I think him looking for the payment alternatives uh, is probably what led him around to BCH. And then does that is this timeline making sense? And then he introduced you to it. And yeah. then I guess maybe ultimately you didn't want to stay in Thailand because of lockdowns and whatever. You know, you wanted to come back to the Americas and then um, it, crazy how the exact same software, the same whatever cryptocurrency that's uh, having an active use case in Thailand. And I know that there were meetups and stuff that you guys were going to out there. They're yep. using that exact same thing here and yep. uh, it's going global. It is. Yeah, there's there's communities everywhere. There's uh, Australia, there's Japan, there's Thailand, there's all over Latin America. Um, it's it's really it's really expanding pretty aggressively, uh, especially because of COVID. So let's get into it. I mean, tell us a little bit more about what's happening on the ground right now in St. Kitts. So St. Kitts is really the story of a man named Sonny. So there's a entrepreneurial uh, man who moved here, I think, 15 years ago, and uh, he runs the duty-free shops. He also uh, supplies liquor to most restaurants and businesses on the island. So he's very connected with uh, all of the merchants here. And uh, he discovered cryptocurrency and got interested in Bitcoin Cash. Uh, and it, it's really over the past two or three weeks been an explosion of this guy, Sonny, onboarding I think we're at 130 something locations that are all taking Bitcoin cash. In addition, a lot of the businesses, including Sunny's, are starting to pay their staff in Bitcoin cash and things like going to the grocery store. When you spend a certain amount of money, 100 EC, that's the local currency, they give you $20 EC worth of Bitcoin cash. So the locals are now using it and going from location to location. And of course, on top of all of that, you have the fact that people are able to buy citizenship here in this country, which has no income tax and no capital yeah. gains tax. So crypto people are coming here, getting their citizenship with crypto, buying property with crypto, paying and tipping people in crypto. And you're seeing this island uh, transform in a very uh, short period of time. So, um, you know, we'll see kind of what happens with that. In the next few months but it's exciting to be here and to see it firsthand and i i should have researched this but so the i didn't know the so the local currency is the ec what does that stand for eastern caribbean dollar eastern caribbean dollar and mm -hmm. um is it pegged to the us dollar no but people do use the us dollar here so any shop you go to any merchant any taxi cab will take usd or ec but okay. ec and is the primary and so I'm going to have to look at a chart of this, um, but like, so like, I think a lot of people's question would be like, what, how did the need arise in St. Kitts? Like, do they have currency issues? Do they have issues spending or like, wh what are some of the specific 
uh, pain points that people were experiencing in St. Kitts? So small anecdote, uh, there was a, a business owner and uh, we went to him and he, he's not a citizen of America. He's just petitioned. He's from here. That's that's it. And we said to him, um, are you paying taxes in the United States? And he looked at us crazy and he's like, no, of course not. And we said, yes, you are. Yes, you are because of inflation. So the primary currencies they're using, EC, really they're using the dollar. All the businesses here are accepting the dollar. So the way that I've said this in a video of mine is when you're living in America and you have a $100 bill and the government wants to build a bridge mm -hmm. and they print a ton of $100 bills, so your dollar bill goes to the value of $99, at least you get a bridge, right? At least you get what they're printing the money for, right? But when you're in a place like here, you're getting the $99 instead of the 100, but you don't get a bridge. You get nothing. So that is something that uh, I think a lot of business owners here are aware of. Um, there's also issue, issues of, a re, of uh, excuse me, remittances. A lot of the business owners here are Indian and send money back to India. So Sonny mm -hmm. is one of them. And one of the things that's so frustrating for him is, you know what his limit is to send money back to India? $2,000. And there's and that's like through, through obviously MoneyGram and uh, what's the uh -huh. other one? Western Union. It mm -hmm. sucks. It's like mm -hmm. almost ten percent fees. Yeah, it's insane. So, crypto obviously uh, attacks a lot of these problems at the cost of volatility. However, that's not an issue necessarily. There's always risk with an investment, but uh, business owners here that don't want to deal with the volatility or the risk of let's say Bitcoin cash dropping by 30 or 50% or whatever, uh, they're able to put their money into stablecoin, such as FlexUSD, which earns interest. So, you know, it, it's really, in my opinion, the world will be on crypto at some point, but right now it's early. So it's really the people that are entrepreneurial and uh, maybe are more open to risk that are jumping on board. And because Sunny is that kind of person and he's connected with everyone, it's been a really easy transition to have the island change. And of course, you're seeing locals start using it and you're seeing people start talking about it. When you drive through the island, there are signs for Bitcoin Cash. There are stickers on almost all the stores in the port. Uh, people get off the cruise boats. That's an important thing. People get off the cruises. This is where the cruise boats stop and that's a lot of their uh, money comes from these cruises. People coming off the cruises are Westerners that have crypto and they can come here and spend it. It's like awesome. And they are. No, definitely makes sense. Um, so I was looking at the ECD and it looks like it's been basically consistent to the US dollar for the past five years, at least one to 2.7. So the conversion rates unchanged. So at least in like real dollars, the citizens um, using the ECD haven't experienced like a devaluation event. So mm -hmm. they haven't they haven't really like experienced the pain of inflation um, in a direct way. Obviously, your point's very valid that um, American inflation unintentionally sort of taxes like the entire world and especially Latin America or anyone that's sort of pegged to the U.S. dollar. Mm -hmm. um, but it doesn't seem like, you know, 
that is enough to spur behavioral change at an individual level. And so I'm curious if part of it is also maybe like access to credit or, um, or like in a cynical way, like is part of it just like a marketing play? Do they even really need the, the BCH like for transactions? I totally get it for remittances, but for transactions, like uh, could you speak a bit more to that? I'm sure that marketing does play a role in this for sure, because obviously when you're here, you're seeing the branding everywhere. You're seeing Bitcoin Cash on the signs. They have these LED things or stickers. So people are going to be naturally curious, what, what the heck is this? But I also think that people around the world, even people who don't have you know, the average salary of an American, everyone's heard of crypto. Mm-hmm. Everyone's heard about this new form of money. And I think that at least me, I was curious about it. And I think that people get curious and want to try it. And once you try it, it, it's so funny when you meet people here. In fact, I have this little thing. Nice. And anyone who scans that gets 10 EC. So um, actually, whoever watches this program, someone's going to scan this and actually get it because this is a live one, I think. Um, but it's, it's always funny when you give this to someone or a local and they use it for the first time. And watching them experience it is so fun because... Like, for example, this morning I went to uh, a place called Coconut Grove and paid my tip in Bitcoin Cash. And I sent it to the waitress via AirDrop. And she didn't even have a wallet on her phone. She didn't know what it was. But Right. So, like, the idea, like, I can AirDrop money to someone I don't know. And it's like a one-time use QR code? Well, this is. But in the case of AirDrop, using a wallet, you can basically share a link if they don't have a wallet on their phone, you airdrop them, it automatically opens the app store, it automatically downloads the wallet, and then it automatically puts the money into their wallet. So yeah, yeah, yeah. People get QR codes for accounts, like people mm-hmm. kind of get that. But what you're if, if you could uh, show that up again, the idea of having a one time QR code on a piece of paper, basically, and then you could just hand them out like hand them out almost like business cards, but it's, it's literally like money then. It's yep. literally, it's literally like one-time use money. Um, and so exactly. I feel like that, that could help sort of concretize things in people's minds. Like that, that's literally the equivalent of, uh, whatever it is, you know, five bucks or whatever. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, just having these to tip is, is kind of interesting, but there's other applications that are fun. So for example, one of the things that you can do is you can print out this piece of paper that has two QR codes and it's, it's sort of like gambling. You can scan a QR code send $5 to it, and there's a 50-50 chance that you double your bet. So you scan the other <laughs> code and the money comes to your phone. It's so incredible. And it, so th- these are some of the things that you can do. And when you watch people realize like, oh, wait, I can send $5 to someone via AirDrop or text or Facebook or Telegram or email or just scan and send money. Really, It's interesting. You know, People here are using coins and paper bills. Yeah. And no, the, 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 the creativity that this unlocks is, is boundless. And mm-hmm. we're really just at the most basic use case. Like you could, you could set up a, just a quick like cron job algorithm to automatically, you know, send out whatever it is, money every two weeks to your employees. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's nothing but like Bitcoin or crypto and code basically. And you yep. could completely sidestep all, uh, HR software, mm-hmm. for example, you know, 
Yeah, you're right. Uh, and there's also a new platform that's coming here called Go Crypto. Those guys are incredible, smart guys. So they developed a POS system that takes legacy payments, incorporates with legacy uh, accounting software, all of that. People can pay with credit card, they can pay cash, but they can also pay crypto. And it's actually similar to El Salvador where merchants there can accept Bitcoin and then convert it right into US dollars right then and there. Mm -hmm. So these Go Crypto um, POS systems, I put one in my, my video uh, from a few days ago. Same thing. People can come in, pay crypto, and then it converts right into US dollars or EC for the merchants. So even merchants that don't want to deal with this, they don't have to. They can still accept crypto and get cash, fiat cash out of it. So I saw the go crypto thing and I think I saw um, a mention that those guys are from Europe or Asia originally. They're from uh, Slovenia. Slovenia. And so uh, it just... I'm, it just makes me think like who's all down in St. Kitts right now? Like who who are like who are all the like cool like like tech guys that are running around St. Kitts spending BCH right now? <laughs> so um, sideshift.ai, which is an incredible platform. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but uh, it's basically an exchange that doesn't KYC you. So okay. you can send $50 Bitcoin cash and they'll send you $50 Bitcoin just like that. And they take like a small fee, uh, depending on which, which coins you choose. So sideshift guys are here. Uh, the go crypto guys, uh, are here. David bond was here. He left, but he's coming back in a few weeks. Um, Roger Veer was down here. Uh, he left, but he's coming back at some point. Um, a guy who's a friend of mine named Jake Goss, who does NFT Dow stuff, uh, is coming down. So it's sort of like a, it's a paradise of people who are interested in crypto and they're kind of coming, coming and going all the time. So, um, that's we'll good. That's good. Yeah. And you know, we're doing our best to raise awareness. And so what percentage, cause I, I like over the years, a lot of people have gone down to say kits to do the citizenship thing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the, the, the popularity of that just continues to rise. Yep. Um, it first hit my radar through Neil Strauss's book, uh, Emergency, I believe it's called. Oh, wow. Which which came out in 2012 or something. It was like his follow-up book to the game. Gotcha. Um, so right after the game, he wrote this book, Emergency, which was all about, you know, the five flag theory and being prepared for disaster, wow. um, a little bit about like preppers and stuff. And then he also went into talking about second passports and he literally because uh, he's like an investigative journalist or, or what's it called, like a gonzo journalist, and he yeah. actively participates in it. And so he went down to St. Kitts and he got the passport mm -hmm. like literally like a decade ago. Yeah. Um, so that's how it first came on my radar. Um, all that to say that, like, you know, there's definitely a lot of people who, you know, live alternative lifestyles or smart kind of mm -hmm. uh, technologically savvy people that have based up in St. Kitts. And um, I'd be interested to know to what extent the people that are in St. Kitts now or who, who are involved in this movement are the people that have the kind of like citizenship tech crowd or people who are like kind of fundamentally more involved in the island itself, mm -hmm. uh, residents and stuff like that, versus people who are just showing up uh, due to excitement and um, just are just down to check it out almost yeah. as like a tourist and, and, and learn. Yeah, I'm not sure what the, the numbers would be. The island itself has 50,000 people. 
Um, they do have obviously a big, uh, a big portion of their country's capital comes from selling citizenship, uh, mostly to Chinese actually, uh, but also to people in tech because of, again, you know, there's no income tax, there's no capital gains tax. It's a tropical paradise. And it's also mm-hmm. not that inexpensive or excuse me, not that, um, expensive. So $150,000 to get citizenship, it's a lot of money, fair enough. But that's also not really- your freedom. Perfect. If you're yeah. buying your freedom. Exactly. And you, if you have like at least like 10 million bucks, like who cares? Like yeah. 100K, 1% of your net worth, like let's yep. go, baby. Yep. And I think, it, I forget, it's different for each island because obviously Antigua has a program, Granada has a program, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But some of them allow you, allow you to bring your family with you and your whole family mm-hmm. gets the citizenship. Yeah. So that that can be big. Some of them do. Some of them don't. Uh, some, you know, so so there is uh, some differences. Another famous guy who got the St. Kitts one was Dan Bilzerian's brother. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, so, yes, <laughs> uh, his father, Paul Bilzerian, is here as well. Uh, very nice guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a whole bunch of people. One of the things that's exciting about the citizenship here, too, is you can buy it with cryptocurrency. Directly. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean that, and you can pay your lawyer here in cryptocurrency. That's dope. No, you know, just think about that. That's, that's pretty, pretty big that you can do that. Yeah. It means you can already be outside the system and then just continue to increase your kind of freedom and options. Exactly. You know, the whole idea of getting another passport actually wasn't that interesting to me until recently, really because of because of COVID, I actually got a second passport uh, maybe four, four or five weeks ago. And it is something that's increasingly more important, if nothing else, than just to be able to go to more countries without a visa, which I think is is so important right now. Mm-hmm. And so did you do the St. Kitts program or you did a different one? Oh, I wish. No, I, uh, I got a French passport. So um, yeah. Little- uh, okay. So the, the Falsan, you're like actually a French origin. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Your parents, I'm guessing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Awesome. Makes sense. Yeah. I like obviously the European one is a super powerful passport to have. And uh, I mean, I think anyone listening to this, you know, there, you, we don't have to convince them. Anyone listening to this knows that two passports is literally such a necessity in, in this is. day and age. Yeah. And you, you're taking so much risk. To yourself and to your finances by only having one passport um you know a lot of the people that come down to st kitts actually renounce their u.s citizenship when they come mm-hmm. and just opt out of the entire system over there which you know as time goes on looks more and more attractive to me no i get it man i mean i told you this offline but my latin life that's actually one of the big pushes we're doing now is uh we're moving away from from the stuff we used to talk about, kind of more dating and stuff in Latin America. And we're really getting into um, second passports, second residencies, international tax strategies, moving offshore, moving abroad, um, just internationalizing your life. Yep. I mean, I like if I was American and, and maybe I am as well. Uh, sure, I'll say, yeah, I'm Canadian American. I mean, I think it, like I'm not going to renounce my U.S. citizenship. I mean, the U.S. is still, you know, the biggest market in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I still have family there and everything. I'm not giving it up, but you could, but like, 
even like even if you're not planning to give up your your primary citizenship, getting a second option is unbelievably important. Yep. And then Latin America, um, maybe this will kind of come up throughout your series as like a maybe like a side theme. But Latin America is really like the best region to get a second passport. Mm-hmm. Europe as well, because Asia in Asia. If you uh, naturalize in a country, you have to give up your previous citizenship. Yep. They only recognize one citizenship. You'd have to give up whatever. Um, but in Latin America and Europe, they recognize dual citizenship. And mm-hmm. Latin America just makes it very easy. Like, you know, there's there's 20 countries in Latin America, thereabouts. There's another 10 or 15 in the Caribbean. So you really have a lot to choose from. You have a lot of different options, jurisdictions. And they all have like pretty chill requirements. They've all mm-hmm. historically, literally for 150 years straight, they've all been pretty pro-immigration. Oh, wow. Um, and, you know, you can, if you have like uh, social security or some sort of passive income, or you have even just enough money for, for like a bank deposit, depends on the country. But Latin America is like really like the golden land of like second residency opportunities and St. Kitts is one of them. El Salvador is one of them. I'm really waiting on what happens with this El Salvador residency because I don't think they've yeah. announced it yet. Yeah, with El Salvador, they said that um, you can invest, I think it's three Bitcoin yeah. and you get citizenship. Um, but as residency. far as I know, residency. A residency. as far as I know, um, that program hasn't opened yet. Yeah, it hasn't started. I almost want to like, go to El Salvador right now because I just feel like they're going to announce it in like two, three weeks and just be like first in line and be like first at the office. You know what I mean? El Salvador is an awesome country. And funny enough, best salmon I've ever had in my life is in El Salvador. Surprisingly (laughs) incredible. I don't know why. Better than Japan, better than Alaska, better than New York. It's there. You know what? You're, you know what? This is yeah. This is a random tangent, but I don't know why Latin Americans are like super obsessed with salmon. I don't really think it's like from this region, but like every like supermarket has salmon, and like yeah. if you go out to dinner, they all have salmon on the menu and stuff. And I'm like, where's all? This I've salmon? noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> but El Salvador, man, it's it's. I love that country. I'm so excited to go back at some point in the next year, and um, it, it is interesting to see what's happening with Bitcoin and uh, how it will progress. Yeah, so let's do a bit of a comparison of El Salvador versus St. Kitts. I think this is actually like one of the biggest themes that people would take away from this discussion and also one of the biggest themes that you're trying to show through your channel, which mm-hmm. is that the 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 Bitcoin movement in El Salvador is actually quite top down. Whereas yes. what's interesting and unique about the movement that you're documenting in St. Kitts is that it's very bottom up and that it's very grassroots. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that's pretty much everything uh, distilled down. So that's that's an upcoming video topic of mine. It's something that I've obviously um, been thinking a lot about. And it's not just about what direction, let's say, the crypto is flowing, whether it's top down or bottom up. But it's also the fact that in El Salvador, if you go, what you'll discover is no one takes Bitcoin. I mean, don't get me wrong. They're mandated by law to accept Bitcoin. They have to take it if you ask, but they won't take it. And up to now, there hasn't been any uh, punishment or enforcement of that. Uh, If you go to the Bitcoin beach, which is the only part of El Salvador where cryptocurrency was grassroots, that's what caused it to spread to the whole country is there's a small beach called El Zante. 
Bitcoin Beach. There, yeah, everyone will take Bitcoin. Well, they won't really take Bitcoin. They'll take their own internal system called the Bitcoin Beach, which is a custodial. Anyway, I don't want to get to the nitty gritty. But by and large, yeah, Bitcoin is grassroots in El Zante and Bitcoin Beach. But once you're out of there, once you're in uh, San Salvador, the main city, no one will take Bitcoin. No one wants it. No one has it. Um, Large businesses like McDonald's, Starbucks, they do take it. But that's about it. Um, In El Salvador, it's a completely different thing. Or excuse me, in uh, uh, St. Kitts and Nevis, it's a totally different thing where no one is required to take it, but almost everyone does. And even people that don't take it, they still have most of them a crypto wallet on their phone where they're able to send and receive it. Mm-hmm. So you, you just see it everywhere here. So it, it's just so funny where, you know, people are naturally resistant to things you try to force them to do. And that's been really obvious when you look at these two countries. Mm-hmm. And I think in El Salvador, one of the big revelations that you helped sort of reveal and not to be negative about the country, obviously they're making a good effort, but there's mm-hmm. been problems with like Chivo and, you know, the centralization of it and just like rules around it. You need an El, El, El Salvadorian phone number, uh, things like that. So just like a lot of the mechanics day to day aren't functioning uh, probably in part because it's not grassroots. That's part of it. So it was also rushed out. Uh, there's also no public information. So here's a, a few, let's say, concerning elements of El Salvador and in, in Bitcoin there. Uh, number one, they gave out $30 of Bitcoin to all of their citizens. Yep. The country claims that it's 3 million citizens that actually got the $30 of Bitcoin. Here's the problem with that. That would have cost them over 2,000 Bitcoins. At the time they made the announcement that 3 million people got $30 of Bitcoin, they only had 1,300 or 400 Bitcoins that they had purchased. Ghost Bitcoins. You, you can't invent Bitcoins out of thin air. That's one of the most important and critical aspects of cryptocurrency is that it's not a fractional reserve. That's fundamental to cryptocurrency, right? <laughs> the whole problem with the fiat system, with with, com- with the countries around the world disconnecting gold from the dollar already happened in the first week of El Salvador making Bitcoin the national currency. That's a huge problem. Um, the other so thing- are people you- on the ground like saying they haven't received their money yet? Or has everyone received it, but it's kind of like, where where did it come from? So that's a good question. Um, th- that's a, it's a complex way. It's complex to answer that. There's never been, there's, there's no verifiable way to show how many people have gotten Bitcoin, how many people have downloaded the app, right? It's just the president of the country just tweeting it, and then we believe him. There's nothing verifying anything. Um, Another great part about Bitcoin is you can have a wallet. And with your wallet, anyone can monitor how much Bitcoin is in there. The wallets of El Salvador are private. No one knows. There's no internal government agency that is keeping track of how much Bitcoin they actually have, 
where it's going, where it's being sent to, where it's being kept. There's no public oversight. There's no independent committee. It's all invisible being traded on the personal phone of the president of the country who claims that he's given out more Bitcoin than he's ever purchased. And on top of all of that, he's using public funds to buy the Bitcoins. He has $150 million that he um, set up as a public trust to cover the high fees of the Bitcoin network. And in addition to all of that, they didn't disclose the fact that they're not even using Bitcoin internally for their payment rails. They're using a completely different cryptocurrency called Algorand. What is going on? <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, it, it, so all of that together, you know, obviously I, I, I am laughing to a degree, um, but there's some serious issues of transparency. And of course, you compare that to St. Kitts and Nevis, where there's no issue at all because there's no public spends, public funds being spent. There's no taxes. There's no invisible trading happening behind the scenes, taking money from the public. Um, it's just grassroots. People are using it if they want to use it. So it's very, very different. <laughs> I think one of the reasons it does work so frictionless in St. Kitts is because it is a no-tax country, basically. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the uh, friction points of creating a similar system in like a normal uh, country that has, you know, whatever normal income tax, yeah. be it Colombia or whatever, is just that the government's not going to be a fan um, because they're just not going to be in control of these payments. And, you know, their, their tax collection board, their equivalent of the IRS is just going to be in a, a really bad position, right? Yeah, uh, it's interesting. One of the things that the businesses can do, though, is report it just as a cash sale. Um, but you're right. Some countries aren't going to be so keen to have cryptocurrency. Um, but, the, you know, one of the great things about cryptocurrency is you can't actually stop people from using it. You can regulate the hell out of it. There's a lot of ways you can slow it down or retard it or um, make it a headache for people like they've done in America. But people can use it. That's that's kind of the beauty. Yeah. And you've had sort of like a harsh tone on El Salvador, but are you generally like bullish on what they're doing there? Are you a fan of what they're doing there? Are you a fan of, uh, of the president Naib or are you kind of, do you, do you have your reservations? Okay. So here's the best way that I can put it. I thought of this analogy to kind of figure out how to answer this question. Cause people ask me, um, let's say that I am Christian. I am seriously Christian. I believe that if you don't embrace Jesus Christ, you're going to hell. And I want to do everything in the world to make sure that you believe in Jesus. Mm -hmm. With all that said, does that mean that I would be for sending religious zealots to Latin America and forcing them to convert or, you know, destroying their culture and murdering them? Like, so the, the thing is, the ends don't justify the means. So yes, I personally believe that the common person in El Salvador will likely have a better financial outcome from what's happening down there. But I don't believe morally that you can force people to make the right choices and you can force people to do what you believe to be the right or moral thing.
well, maybe a moral thing is not the right way but to say it, but you can't force them to do what you believe is best for them. So, um, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, at least you're giving them a second option. So you're forcing them between two options now. <laughs> that's, that, is, that is true. But one thing I would counter with that is while you are forcing them between two options, um, that second option, you're kind of doing a, a Robin Hood thing. But instead of stealing from the rich and giving to the poor, you're stealing from the poor and giving to naive to gamble. So it, it's a little more complicated. And when you actually do the math, what you find is for El Salvador to break even, and I, I have all the math, you can look at my, my uh, video on the topic. When you look at all the funds that were spent, the and purchases, by the way, yeah, I've seen a chart of the purchases, yeah. yeah. And they're all like in the 40, like 40,000, like 45,000 mark. Well, it's like worse that. than that. So if you take the cost of the $150 million, uh, um, what is it called? Uh, the trust that was created. If you take the cost of all the Bitcoins, if you take the cost of basically everything, the price of Bitcoin needs to be almost $400,000 per Bitcoin for El Salvador to break even on what they've done. Per Bitcoin, it would need to be that much. And then they'd have to sell it all. <laughs> so when you think about the actual numbers, it gets pretty scary. And by the way, that doesn't include the funds to cover things like the ATMs, to cover armed guards and salaries of Chivo staff. The Chivo staff, by the way, are made of Venezuelans who were caught defrauding another cryptocurrency known as Dash. You know, when you start looking at the raw numbers, it's like, sure, they can choose two options, but really it's like, all right, you have one option and here's a second option, but I'm going to steal everything from you. <laughs> but at least you can have two now. You know, it's, it's, it's complicated. But um, obviously, yeah, I do have kind of a harsh tone, but... I, Admittedly, I do think that in the long run, uh, the average person will likely have a better financial outcome from. Yeah, from like it's still it's still cool, right? Like obviously, there's aspects you could uh, be critical about in terms of their their rollout and implementation, exactly. but it's still cool, right? It is, and the other thing is, everything I've said doesn't take in consideration Bitcoin people, crypto people coming down there and injecting more crypto into it, which can ideally lower some of those. Uh, some of those costs that, that I kind of spoke about earlier. But um, yeah, it's interesting and it is exciting and there are a lot of positives to it. Yeah, like where I am in Mexico, I'm, I'm hanging out with and speaking to a lot of digital nomads and everyone wants to go to El Salvador and check it out. I yep. have a, I've had a few friends actually that uh, their visas ran up in Mexico and they kind of needed a visa run mm -hmm. and they were like, let's go to El Salvador and, and they did it. Yeah, so and one of the are, things people are going that normally wouldn't go. And exactly. I commented this on another podcast, but it's a, a funny indication of the times where there's more people interested in moving to El Salvador mm -hmm. than there are moving to Canada or Australia. Yeah, that's true. And the other thing about El Salvador, too, with Nayib Bukele, the president there, is he's made it where you can go and not be kidnapped. You know, a lot of the crime has been really greatly reduced. So there are a lot of wonderful things that, that he and his administration has done. And you're right. People are going down there. It's a cool place. I love it. I want to go back. Uh, and obviously, if, if uh, obviously there's something good if I want to go back. You know what I mean? For sure. So what do you think? Actually, let, let's do like, I don't know how much time you have because we are coming up to the hour mark. Because um, I definitely, have, like, would you be able to go over an hour? Uh, yeah, but I might need to plug in my computer at some point. 
Okay. Okay. Um, we'll, we'll keep it like relatively brief because I wanted to ask just kind of about a little bit more about St. Kitts, bring it back to that and then kind of, you know, what's up next and what's the plan for 2022. Um, I'm going to ask you a bit of a hard question that I feel is like my like faux journalist duty about St. Kitts. And yep. it's basically about Roger Ver beer, however you pronounce it. Beer, yeah. And so some of the critics online would say that what appears to be a grassroots movement on the ground is basically just Roger Veer sort of like uh, financing this mm-hmm. movement because, you know, he has a lot of incentive to do so as like a mm-hmm. large BCH holder and founder. And then also, you know, he lives in St. Kitts, so he's right there and he totally. can go he can go talk to Sonny and whoever else. And obviously, you I believe you've, you've met with him. David Bond's yeah. met with him, et cetera. And so um you know what's to say that you know there's you know you know what i mean that it's not just like a a well calculated thing so let's say it is let's say it's 100 percent calculated every element everything has been paid and pushed and it's totally made like that what is the outcome of that that people can still choose whether they want to use it or not they want to take roger veer's money from bitcoin cash fine they want to take it and convert it into Bitcoin, fine. They want to take it, convert it into stablecoin, fine. They want to take it, convert it into fiat, fine. So I guess, you know, the motive for Roger Veer in this scenario is to have the island have better freedom, people to have agency. And I guess I don't, you know, for the critics, even if that scenario is true, I don't see anything even remotely wrong with it. Yeah, neither do I. I don't see anything wrong with it. I don't see like, obviously, you know, freedom needs to be like promoted by someone and and sort of organized by someone. So I don't I don't see a problem with it at all. But I think uh, just people would be curious about, you know, maybe the extent of his involvement, or um, I guess. um, Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think fundamentally, like BCH seems to be like the currency that works. And, you know, it's been around for five years. It's doing well. Um, it seems, you know, five years is a lot in the cryptocurrency space. Is, yeah. And yeah. I think uh, I think we are going to see a trend where a lot of these uh, shit coins, excuse my language, and <laughs> uh, these other things that have been pumped up, I think people are going to realize that there's not a lot of utility there. And I think there will right. be sort of a shift at some point, you know, when we when we start going into maybe like a more recessionary environment at a, at a macro scale, I think um, people will start to move out of the shit coins and into stuff that has a track record that yep. has um, a higher asymmetric uh, potential um, growth, which yep. I think BCH has. I mean, it's never really fallen below like 250 a coin or whatever in the past five years. And obviously it's hit pretty high all-time highs. I think it was like in the 4,000s. And right now the, the coin's like under like 300 a coin. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty much at like the bottom of its, um, yep. you know, of its range. And so I think fundamentally, like when I look at it, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, like <laughs> this is yep. asymmetric for sure. Um, that was a bit of a tangent, but I mean, I think obviously the project has a lot, a lot, a lot of merit. And I'm almost just like, why is it only like Roger Ver and like this island? Like, why, why isn't this like it is popping up everywhere? Yeah. But I feel like he, he like and then like, what's up with Kim.com? How is he so involved? <laughs> so, yeah, Kim.com is coming out with a, a Bitcoin cash powered 
uh, tool. Uh, so that, that'll be coming out soon. I've, I've actually had the opportunity to speak with him uh, once. Uh, he actually, I have a new flip starter that's out now and he donated to it. So that, that's sort of the connection there. But um, yeah, Bitcoin Cash is interesting because it's, it's sort of the coin that works really well, but it's not very sexy. You know what I mean? Part of the thing is with Bitcoin Cash is people use it as money. So no one's like holding it. People are transacting it and using it. So um, as opposed to like Shiba, which is like a very sexy, cool coin that blew up on Twitter, you know, a while ago. Um, and one of the things that I've noticed, just like you, is when it comes to Bitcoin Cash, there's like very few, because it doesn't have that sexiness to it, you know, like Elon Musk of Bitcoin Cash, right? Roger Veer is sort of like the only one. He's sort of this like nerdy tech guy, right? Um, yeah, like there's not a lot of evangelists. Like there's yeah. gra- there's grassroots usage and there's real street adoption everywhere from yep. Thailand to St. Kitts. Uh, but there's not a lot of like big Silicon Valley guys or evangelists that are really like uh, on board. And this can change yep. in an instant. And I really think it will. I think it just takes one guy or one, you know, Wall Street fund to put a big bet in. But like, yep. why, why hasn't that happened to date? I don't know. I have no idea. I, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that in crypto, hype is so important. And most people, especially now, don't look at fundamentals, right? The coins that are doing well now, like think about Solana. It's like this centralized coin that the network just goes down. It's like, mm-hmm. why? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, why? There's smart BCH. Why would you use Solana? So, um, you know, I think that you're right. This, this dip is here, this bear market, and it'll probably eliminate a lot of cryptos that don't have use cases. And the ones that do, I think, are going to stay around and, and maybe they'll get some um, attention or not. I guess with me personally, I'm excited by stuff that works. So I'm doing a lot of Bitcoin Cash content now. And I've thought about like, you know, it's interesting that other people aren't also making content and maybe that'll change. Maybe it won't. But I'll continue using and talking about Bitcoin Cash and Monero and any other cryptocurrency that has use cases and works. Because to me, that's that's sort of what's important. But, you know, I, I don't know why a lot of people aren't jumping on it. But man, um, this thing hasn't hit its moon. There's so much potential. There's so many, so much opportunity in it that I feel like a few big influencers getting in it could cause the, the price to really jump. And maybe that'll happen or maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, I, I definitely am, am bullish on BCH for sure. Um, so what is kind of the game plan for 2022? Are you going to make it to Argentina, to Venezuela, other other spots around Latin America? Keep keep the series going. Yeah. So right now I'm doing a, uh, a flip starter. For those who don't know, a flip starter is a crowdfunding website where people can donate Bitcoin cash to a project idea that you have. Uh, the way it works is if you don't 100% meet your goal, you get nothing and all the Bitcoin cash goes back to everyone else. And what you're campaigning about doesn't have to be anything related to Bitcoin cash. You can campaign to buy a Lamborghini if you want. You probably won't get funded, but you can you can do anything. And this platform is incredible because it can't be silenced. Regardless of what you think about Kyle Rittenhouse, he had his, um, it's not his OnlyFans. What is it called? What's the other? Kickstarter. Kickstarter. No, it's the other one. Uh, anyway, there's, there's one. A that, few go fund me. Fund me. Go fund me. I wish it was his OnlyFans, but he had a he had a GoFundMe up and it got financially censored, so they stopped donations from going through. 
Mm -hmm. So you actually couldn't donate to the guy. And we've seen this too with the Canadian uh, trucker convoy and yep. they raised like 8 million and uh, GoFundMe or whoever was only yep. released like 1 million and they only released the 1 million after like significant public pressure. It's insane. So crypto solves this. And I know that's sort of like the meme crypto solves this, but it really does. So Flipstarter lets you put up a campaign. So for me, I have a campaign on the website that's up that uh, to be honest is a little ambitious. I'm asking for, for a lot. Uh, basically, the equivalent at the time of raising it was $250,000. Uh, basically, to afford me to go to every country in the world that has adoption over the next year. So Russia's talking about some stuff, might go to Russia, Nigeria, uh, El Salvador again, obviously stay here in St. Kitts. So go to any place. Slovenia, that's actually a big one where crypto uh, adoption is going on. So I'll be going to all those places. Um, my flip starters up. Anyone in the world who thinks what I'm doing is, is useful can go uh, pledge to it. And uh, if it fails, because again, it is an aggressive uh, number. Uh, if it fails, I'll still be doing the same. I'll still be going out to all those countries and doing everything that I'm asking people to give me money for. I'll still be doing it uh, probably just at a slower rate. But Yeah, I like it. And so uh, we'll, we'll obviously link up the, the flip starter um, in the show notes for uh, for this video. So we'll, we'll make sure and promote that. This is your second flip starter, right? After it is. First one? Yeah. Well, it's actually my third. So um, I did a second one, which was kind of a joke flip starter where I raised five dollars. Now, it cost two hundred dollars to set the thing up. So I, I ended up losing one hundred fifty or one hundred ninety five dollars. But uh, we did a really fun video. It's actually on David Bond's channel. I'll send it to you later. Um, but it's a hilarious video about how Flipstarter works. And we actually launched uh, a Flipstarter that was the smallest Flipstarter ever made. <laughs> there you go. Yep. You're just breaking records left and right. <laughs> no, it's good. I mean, a little proof of concept. And then what is use.cash? Interesting. So use.cash is two things. Uh, one, it's just a resource. Okay, I'll tell you a, a story. Um, when I was in Bangkok, I did a video where I wanted to spend Bitcoin at three restaurants. So um, in Bangkok, there's a bunch of restaurants that say they do. There's all kinds of maps like coinmaps.org and all these maps. So I went to them and basically found out that I had a 50% success rate. 50% of the places I went said, yeah, you know, we took that a year ago, but that was a year ago. We took that two years ago. Um, so I realized that's kind of a problem. Uh, so I had an assistant there that I hired that physically went to every single location in Bangkok that said they took it. And I had her put in a spreadsheet whether they do or they don't. So now I had an updated, accurate map of the places that actually accept crypto so I can do my video. And I said, well, you know, what's stopping me from making software, a platform where people can self-report whether places mm -hmm. accept crypto and even add locations to the map where it's yeah. geo geotagged. So you actually have to be in the area of the restaurant to say that it's accepting crypto, open it up to any crypto, not just Bitcoin cash or Bitcoin, but really any of them. So I started developing that. Uh, that's almost done. So in addition to that, that that's use.cash maps.use.cash. The other part of use.cash are tools and tutorial videos for merchants, for people who are interested in taking cryptocurrency at their business but have no idea how because they're boomers or whatever. They can go to my site and just very clean tutorial videos that show them, here's how to download your register app. Here's how to accept it. 
So uh, that tutorial library will, will continue growing over the next year. Makes sense. It makes me think of like there's some websites where it's like dog friendly restaurants or like yeah. pet friendly. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, like it's like it's like crypto friendly. And yep. then um so my my thought would be that the main benefit for a uh, consumer facing business for like a, a restaurant or something would be that they're not paying the credit card fees, mm -hmm. which are, are really, really high. Right. It's like three to five yep. percent uh, of every of every transaction. And so yep. would that be the main benefit that they're they're not paying those credit card transaction fees? Or what do you see as the main benefits for business businesses for adopting crypto? Right. So it's all the benefits of just accepting cash without having to handle physical cash. Uh, so again, avoiding credit card fees, the ease of having everything just be digital, as opposed to dealing with coins and all of that. Um, and also there's an additional benefit, which is people can, let's say the business owner is open to crypto, but they don't want to deal with the volatility. That's the big problem. How do you pay your employees? Well, what you can do is accept cryptocurrency and convert it to something like FlexUSD, which is unbelievable. It's a stable coin that is connected to a uh, perpetual futures market called CoinFlex. Basically, the way it works is if you put um, FlexUSD in your wallet, you get paid out every day. Not much, about 15 to 20% a year, but that adds up. So you think about a restaurant that's accepting cash in a savings account that's a stable coin, so it won't be volatile, and they'll earn passive interest on it. Like that's super exciting, but just no one knows about it because everything's new and you know there isn't really a resource or a website that helps people understand these benefits. So that that is part of what use.cash is. Right, right. So I think you could say um, the cash that you receive can basically immediately be put in the equivalent of sort of like a crypto money market account yep. and be earning significantly more interest um, than if it was in like a traditional financial institution. Exactly. Of course, like anything else, there's always risks associated with it. So, you know, that's always important to keep in mind. But um, in general, there, there's a lot of benefits to merchants for, for using crypto. Definitely makes sense. And then one last question about Ustock Cash. So I guess it's it's going to it's being built underneath the uh, Zerbi Zerbi, uh, I guess like holding company that you have. Mm -hmm. That's only just because uh, I need to form a new LLC. <laughs> but um, yeah, Zerbi is one of my blogs. I have a number of blogs. Uh, Zerbi is sort of the biggest uh, in terms of number of users. Um, so I do have a, an LLC formed around that. Cool. And uh, yeah, man, uh, pretty much wrapping up here. I was curious. So what's it like in the ground in, in St. Kitts? Are there are the beaches nice? Like how's um, I feel like you went the right time of year, you know, in winter. Like how, how's St. Kitts? Yeah, man, it, it's beautiful. There's beaches. There's uh, veterinarian and medical students. It's a 70 percent student body, which is female. Uh, so, you know, as, as a guy, that's certainly uh, attractive. But I'll tell you what, I like the cold. I'm more of a like North Japan, North China guy. <laughs> it's, I'm, I'm quirky like that. But I think for someone who likes beaches, likes water, likes good food um, and likes crypto, this is sort of the paradise right now. And uh, how is the internet? And then how, how do you actually get to St. Kitts? Because uh, my nearest airport is Cancun and I was trying to figure, I, I was thinking it would be like pretty cheap, but it ended up being like, I think like 800 bucks one way or like pretty darn expensive. 
Yeah. Um, my... A lot of the flights actually went up to New York, New Jersey for some reason yep. and not through Miami. How do you suggest people actually get to St. Kitts? So the easiest way, the way that I got here was from Newark Airport or Philly Airport, and it was $170 round, uh, yeah. one way. So totally affordable. Um, yeah, yeah it, it's, it's, it's not that bad to get here. Yeah, it makes sense. Every, all the flights seem to be going from there. So you got lucky yeah. on that. <laughs> I, I did, yeah. And then the Wi-Fi is good. How would you assess St. Kitts for digital nomads and expats overall? So right now, the room I'm at, 300 megabytes per second. Not lying. That's insane. No, I don't, I don't know if you'll get that anywhere else. But, uh, you know, there's coffee shops. It's modern. It's easy to get around. Um, you know, it, it's a great place for digital nomads. Um, I prefer places like Bangkok that are a little more of a city vibe. But if you want like a laid back island to work, uh, you know, this is this you'll get that. It's like Copenhagen. It's a lot like that. Awesome, man. Well, dude, I, I think this is awesome. This is, uh, as you mentioned, El Salvador was clearly a, a historic event. And it seems like St. Kitts is basically the second domino. And everyone has been guessing, you know, what's going to be, is there going to be a second country that adopts Bitcoin in 2022? Or how is, uh, and people are placing bets about how adoption um, is going to continue to expand in 2022, what's going to be the yep. second country, et cetera. And so that makes what you're documenting uh, all that more interesting. Yeah, it's exciting. And um, yeah, we'll see. Any country that's going to take crypto, I'll be there documenting the rollout. Uh, so it's exciting to, to be here now and who knows what. All right. So we got cut but disconnected here with Mark. We were just kind of wrapping up, talking about um, St. Kitts as a digital nomad or expat friendly destination. You said that there's 300 megabyte Wi-Fi, which is unreal. Yep. Yeah, for me, that's the most important thing is having good Wi-Fi. And here it's been so good. <laughs> so if we are going to take another quick minute, uh, you know, we've already promoted the Flipstarter, U-Stock-Cash. Um, I, I know you have a lot of travel experience actually globally. And maybe mm -hmm. if I could just sneak in one or two last questions. So what? how do you think about Latin America versus Eastern Europe versus Southeast Asia, kind of the three, the three major digital nomad hubs uh, of the world? Well, what I'd say about Southeast Asia is it's become very saturated with digital nomads and with tourists. So a lot of the charm of it has, I wouldn't say evaporated, but it's become like Bangkok's become like a mini New York City. Right. Where when you go to Panama, it's a lot more vibrant. You're meeting a lot more locals. You know, one of the funny things about Bangkok is you can meet and be friends with just expats mm -hmm. and you never have to interact with anyone else. But when you're in a place like Panama or uh, Colombia or St. Kitts, you're interacting with more locals. And um, there's something to be said about getting out of your home country and going somewhere that's a little bit uh, foreign to you somewhere that's not completely comfortable. And I feel like you can get that in Latin America uh, more than Southeast Asia in a lot of cases. Yeah, so so you like Latin America. Um, damn, I had uh, another quick question. Um, wow, I lost it. Uh, we lost our momentum. But no, um, 
I guess my question would be, so in Asia is opening up probably in 2022, we're going to see yeah. at the Olympics and everything. Um, I think you're dedicated to, to documenting crypto adoption, wherever it may be. What's yep. your prediction for, uh, which region will sort of be leading in, um, hmm. adoption, but then also in sort of like technological advancement, because those things might be different. We might see a yeah. wave of adoption in, in Nigeria and Africa and, yeah. and things like that. So, so I'd say one of the most exciting places in terms of infrastructure, crypto infrastructure is in Slovenia. So that is definitely a place I'll be going. And that's because of those go crypto guys. Mm-hmm. They're doing stuff that takes every problem with cryptocurrency for a merchant and just eradicates it. Uh, they're doing some really great stuff. So um, in terms of adoption, you're likely going to see places in Latin America. So it's going to be countries like Panama is already talking about it. The other islands here Mm -hmm. are likely going to be using it. Obviously, you know, places like Africa, it's super useful. Mm -hmm. I don't know if the governments would, you know, let it happen. Uh, But, you know, who knows? We'll see. Uh, China, no way. They're, they're making their own digital currency, their digital right. yuan, which I will be covering. Uh, hopefully, I make it out of the country alive. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think uh, I do want to ask you a bit about China because you, mm-hmm. you've you know been exposed to the region for such a long time. Yeah. Um, at a Caribbean perspective, I mean, I think there's eight countries using the the Eastern Caribbean dollar or whatever it's called, the ECD. And then, I mean, there's lots of countries in the Caribbean. Do you see the adoption of BCH that you're seeing in St. Kitts? Do you see that spreading out to other uh, Caribbean islands? Yes. St. Martin is the next big one. So you're very likely very soon going to see. I mean, there's already places there that are taking it now because of what's happening here. But um I think that's going to be the next fire to really be uh, lit. Also Antigua. Mm-hmm. So those two islands are going to be, I think, the next large widespread adoption locations. Uh, so we'll see. If so, I'll be there. Definitely makes sense. And um, you, China must have been pretty formative to you because it sounds like you've you've spent probably over a year of your life there and this was maybe in your early 20s where you were um yeah. uh impressionable let's say and, and learning fast you probably learned quite a bit of chinese you learned about the culture the perspective mm-hmm. how have you like maintained a relationship with the eastern world and with china do you keep tabs on it and how do you see your involvement uh with china and the east going forward so china is people might think I'm crazy, but in terms of visiting, it's probably my favorite country in the world to, to be in. And I would stay there long term. Obviously, it's changed since I left in 2014 to now. It's it's a lot less friendly to foreigners. It's a lot more uh, controlled, which is um, disheartening to see. Uh, but it is a wonderful country and the people there are incredible. Um, some people know this about me, but I have a small tea business that uh, is I guess a passion project of mine and we source all our tea from China. I actually go to China to get the tea to mm-hmm. physically bring back. So, you know, I, I am very connected with the country. Uh, prior to COVID, I would go every one or two years either to Hong Kong or to the mainland. 
Uh, and once COVID restrictions ease up and I don't have to get an anal swab to get into the country, uh, I'll, I'll definitely be returning on a, a regular basis. It's, it's an incredible, vibrant country, assuming you can uh, look past the fact that the negative things I'm saying right now would put me in jail if I go back. You kind of, you, you remind me of, I don't know if you know who this is, but Tynan. Uh, he's like this guy that was famous for living in his van. Uh, oh. He was like, I think he was like in the book, The Game, and uh, lived in his van in Las Vegas and, and loves tea <laughs> and minimalism and, and internet marketing and stuff. Wow. Okay. That's, that sounds a lot like me. That's interesting. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll, I'll send you a link. I'll send you a link. Yeah, By the way, you're also going to have to put in a word with David Bond. Um, maybe I'll try to get him on the show as well. Be, I can get him on the show for you. Yeah, yeah, it'd be cool to hear his perspective. Yeah. Um, He's got some, by the way, not to cut you off, but the most interesting story in the world I've ever heard about crypto adoption is from David. And you you know it. You heard, you, you recited some of it, but the details of that story are fascinating. Why he got into Bitcoin and specifically Bitcoin Cash. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, he, I'm sure when he comes on your show, he can he can fill you in on that. Yeah, for sure. And then, um, yeah, so we're just wrapping up. Obviously, uh, I don't think I ever told you. Uh, I uh, I just wanted to thank you again so much for coming on. I really appreciate it uh, to help kind of break the news about what's going on in terms of crypto adoption uh, in Latin America, in the Caribbean. You heard it here first. The next islands, the next dominoes to fall are uh, Antigua and uh, St. Martin, the, the, yep. French, the French Dutch island. Yep. All yep. right. Well, hey, man, thanks so much for, for talking. <laughs> and I'm really excited to, to, you know, I'm seeing so much, but I can only put so much out in my video. So getting just to have a raw conversation is really, uh, really fun. And um, yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, I think it's a different format. And I think it'll give people a chance to sort of feel, um, feel like a closer, different relationship to you and, um, you know, get more uh, committed to your content and following your journey, uh, as I will be. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. You know what? And here's my last uh, thought or tip is um, any country that has like an unofficial exchange rate. So say like, you know how in Argentina, the Argentine peso, you actually get two for one if you bring mm. U.S. dollars down. It's called mm. the it's called the blue rate. Uh, it's incredible. The, it's called like the Mercado Azul or like. Mm. And so um, the official rate is like 100 to one. But if you go oh. down with U.S. dollars and um you go to like the money changers on the corner, basically, you'll get 200 to one. Wow. So you get, so that's like the hack. That's why like you're going to start seeing a lot of digital nomads. Uh, you are seeing that head down to Argentina because <laughs> if they just come down from the States with like 2000 bucks US, they could live for like half a year. Like that's it's, insane. It's, it's, wow. It's, it's so cheap, the country. Um, yeah, everyone wants U.S. dollars. That's that's why. Yeah, especially Argentines because they can't get the money out. If you go to an ATM, the fee yeah. is like ten U.S. dollars to take money out, and the limit is like wow. sixty U.S. dollars. So wow. it, takes, it costs like ten bucks to get like sixty bucks out. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, so it's like insane. And so I see like like the Argentine use case to be like extremely strong. But also, mm-hmm. like, you'll, you'll have fun while you're there. It won't be, like, this insane, dangerous mission that, like, Venezuela will be. So, like, <laughs> yeah. Like, so, our, so, like, you know, you can be, like, doing trendy stuff in Buenos Aires and stuff. But you'll be able to – and you That's can kind of cool. see, like, can I – if they'll accept U.S. dollars, but maybe they'll accept Bitcoin cash. And then yeah. maybe you could try to exchange Bitcoin cash for Argentine pesos at the blue rate. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. 
Cool, man. Well, thanks so much. I'm going to have to go check that out. <laughs> Take a little for vacation. Sure, thanks. Uh, thanks again for coming on. This was a really interesting discussion. All right. Thanks, man. Talk to you soon. Cheers.